1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. With me, Harriet Minter, and Emma Sexton. No Natalie Campbell this week, but instead we have Amanda Prowse. This week, we are joined by some truly badass women. Megha Mahan, BBC journalist, tells us what happened when she dared to go live on air without any makeup. Paula Bell, journalist and author, talks to us about trying to find the meaning of life. And we meet Sophie Hagen, comedian and author of the new book, Happy Fat, who talks to us about why we should all just learn to love our bodies as they
1: are. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no Badass
2: Women's Hour
3: excel with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio.
0: One, two, three, four!
2: Uh, so our first story that we're going to talk about is Megha Mohan, who is the BBC gender and identity reporter. And this week she did a report on TV, live report, a breaking news story. She wasn't wearing any makeup. And rather than emailing the BBC to talk about the story that she was reporting on, people emailed the BBC to complain about her not wearing any makeup. No way! I know she is on the phone with us now. Megan, thanks so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much for having me on. I love your programme. So <laughs> oh, so thank I didn't come you. Come down <laughs> next time. Um, tell us when you started to see people responding to you. Were you shocked? I was really surprised. So I, I, I'll be honest. I do usually wear makeup for everything that I do, but yeah. this shoot happened really early in the morning because we had, you know, venue problems. You know what it's like, and so I didn't. I, I panic. Didn't bring my makeup, and um, and then I just thought, oh, it's just a small report, and it's about and the and the subject was about. Um, sexism in AI, how AI voice assistants are default female voices. And yes. There's mm. been a UN report about it. So there's a gendered context to what I'm doing anyway. I mean, being the gender and identity reporter there usually is. But so AI was, being uh, artificial intelligence, by the way, just for anyone it. to know. Yeah. And, then, and then we had, um, well, then I had um, three emails from this one guy in particular just saying, um, you look really, really ill. Uh, not, not even, not even that um, he necessarily pointed to me not wearing makeup, but just saying that you look so markedly different from how you usually God. look. And he sent um, you three emails to tell you this. Did you say three Don't emails? The same guy. Was three. It, emails.
2: Yes. Was it with a sort of in a caring context, as in a am quite concerned are about you." Okay, you? Hun? Are
4: you okay? I. I are you okay? Hun? <laughs> and perhaps, but it was the it was the um, marked point. I mean, the first email was just was just like you know you look really ill. Is everything okay? And then secondly, it was you look awful. And
5: that's was a sharp intake of breath, said, breath in for both of us,
4: <laughs> was not it? And then, and then there was a third one saying, is, you know you're not responding. Is you know should should we should I go through the official channel? Oh do, my oh goodness! Well. Yes, do that. Wow, okay? you really
3: upset him with your lack of
4: makeup. I'm really upset, Brian, yeah. i really wow, really, poor was Brian, super concerned about how it. And the initial thing is you feel, you feel paranoid anyway because I have, you know, I have really long hair because that's kind of also my armor. Yeah. So I have really long hair and I wear makeup. And those have been my two armors since I was about 16. So this made me, it really triggered me in lots and lots of ways. And yeah. then I thought, you know what? Why not just put it out there? There's going to be times I'm going to be doing this more often. So
2: yeah, yeah. What was triggering about it for you? Was it that you felt judged by him, or that it suddenly felt like I don't? What, what can you tell us a little bit about what the feeling was well, there?
4: You know, a friend, um, a colleague of mine. When I became a reporter a couple of years ago, I I was a producer for years, and then and then I became a reporter. I did more on-air stuff from a couple of years ago, and and he said to me. Um, i 'm going to just tell this to you as a mate, but when you start going on air as a woman, um you have to really make sure that you know you have to have a lot of clarity of thoughts in what you 're about to say because unless a man has a major defect on his face, people are listening to what he 's saying, whereas for a woman it 's you know what are her earrings about? you know mm-hmm. has she gained a bit of weight what you know does that fringe suit her? And it's just, you know, we don't want it to be this way. It's just the way it is. So, you know, kind of just be aware, maybe kind of think about kind of what clothes you're going to wear if you, you know, if you're doing a story. Because I work for the World Service. So a lot of stories are are from, you know, completely underrepresented people. And then you want to take it seriously. And it's not about kind of the 20 people talking to each other in London Twitter. So those are stories that I do take really seriously. So I I do think about what I'm wearing. but. I didn't think that makeup was part of that. And then it became, then mm-hmm. clearly clearly it was.
2: I think there's a subtext there as well, because what we're saying really, what your friend was saying there really, is not, people are not in the nice, possible way, they're not looking at you thinking, oh, I wonder where she got her earrings from. What he's yeah. saying is men are looking at you and they're not listening to what you're saying, they're exactly. thinking, do I want to have sex with you?
4: Yeah, that's it, isn't it?
2: And that know, it makes me lovely. really
4: angry. Yeah. I wonder if it's the sex thing, or I also wonder, because I know that women also do it. I know women in my family who look at people on TV, and the default thing is something about, um, you know, some delivery, some outfits, some hairstyles, and then then you want to say, no, 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 no. I've got a niece who's 12, and she's really becoming super conscious about a lot of things. So for that reason, I try really hard not to say things like, you know, I think I've gained weight. Do I look fat on TV today? Mm. I try, try really hard not to say those things in front of her because I don't want her in her kind of Snapchat world to be thinking that of me as well. Um, so I think there's a subtext there. There's a, there's a subtext there. There's, um, there's men who are viewing you through the male gaze, but there's also women who seem to yeah. be judging us as well. And, and I, 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 wonder, I wonder what the best way, I think podcasts like this help. Mm-hmm. I think um, getting more of us on air helps. But how do we change it so that people are listening to what we're saying? because
3: yeah. uh, that's a concern, isn't it? People are, you know, you're doing a report into AI and tech, you know, for yeah. the, the World Service and people are, are distracted by how you look and you've been told that people will be distracted based Sorry. on what you're wearing and how you look. <laughs>
4: Three, not just one. Three. Wow. Uh, yeah. I t- remember. Uh, sorry. It was great, though, in terms of. Did you? I, I don't know if you got a chance to see some of the responses, but it was yeah. so interesting to know this is not just a media broadcast thing. Um, no, oh, definitely not. Who said that her? She'd gone to school, and her teacher had said had called her dad and said you know she's not is she okay she's not been that well and that was the week she hadn't worn makeup so she caked herself in makeup for the rest of the school year just because that made her so paranoid but you
3: know what it is we don't know what women look like without makeup because i would say 90 percent of women and young girls are wearing some form of makeup all the time so therefore what appears normal is not is not normal. Yeah. So until ninety percent of us stop wearing makeup, mm, yeah.
2: I, yeah. it's going to be really hard to change that. Is it, Amanda? You have you've been on TV without any makeup on. Is that right? Mm, yeah, yeah,
5: I did uh, the Matthew Wright Show as was on Channel Five yeah. a couple of months ago, and and it was one of the last shows. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to wear makeup today. And everyone looked at me. said, what? Well, you know, not at all. Can we just give you a little bit? Of, I
3: said nope, nothing, yeah. and I went on completely bare face, which is how do I. Do you s- need some makeup when you're on TV? Though is there, there is there some kind of like TV reason, i.e. the the lights? I don't know something. They do say yeah. that, and
5: I kind of wanted to test the theory a bit. Do you know? Hardly anyone noticed. Apart from everyone in the studio was you know freaked out. Can I just put a bit of nope I'm <laughs> absolutely fine, <laughs> and it was just insane the reaction, and it became and actually really interesting compared to what Mega was saying. People aren't necessarily talking about the issues we're talking about. It was more about. About my face, I mean, yeah, goodness
0: yeah. me, yeah, so <laughs> much going
5: on in the world, you know, and there
4: we are. But I think it's what I, it really is, we did a report um, for uh, 400 women on International Women's Day about um, we call it the wardrobe of rebellion. Women all around the world, I love that, yeah had done, had, um, you know, kind of worn, it's the kind of the burning the bra of of 2018. And we did, there was a woman in Sudan who wore trousers and she was arrested under the public decency law. Mm -hmm. And there was another woman in South Korea, a a news reporter who decided not to wear her her, um, false eyelashes and makeup, but she decided to put her glasses on because her contacts were irritating her. And they had reams of complaints. Um, and and it was it it was really interesting I mean I checked that piece out because it's so pertinent to this conversation that we're all having as well which just around the world makeup might be one element but there's so many other elements of what's expected of women has it changed how you has it
2: changed how you think you're going to present yourself on air going forward
4: you know that's a really good question I was I was talking to a friend about it and I'm not I do enjoy wear, wearing makeup on a personal level. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm never going to wear makeup again, but yeah. I have thought about it. And a lot of, because I work for the World Service, a lot of what I do, a lot of the reporting that I do is about women, minority communities outside the UK and, and issues that we don't necessarily hear about because they, it's, not, it's not played out on digital media. And for that reason, I think, because I just got back from Chile and, and we did a couple of reports there, um, and I i be, I'm embarrassed to say that I was doing my makeup in the car just before we were going to do, you know, actually we did something about a lesbophobic attack in Chile, which is going to come up soon. Mm. So personal yeah. to, to what we you know, what's happened yeah. in London this week. Mm. But, um, and I, and I thought back and I just thought maybe I shouldn't have been so preoccupied with that. Maybe especially when I'm reporting in the field, I shouldn't be thinking like that because you can bet Jeremy Bowen's not thinking about that. Yeah, when, when, true. True.
2: And also that that's not the criteria he's being judged on you. This is the thing that I find very difficult, particularly about working in the media. And sometimes I wonder how I've ended up in an industry where this is a something that I feel really anti and they feel really pro, yeah. which is that for men, it's like: Did you ask the best question? Did you ask the toughest question? Did you yeah. ask the question that got the best answer? And for women, it's: Did you ask the toughest question whilst looking
4: hot? Mm-hmm. Whilst looking hot. And, and that's whilst kind of wearing the outfit that's not going to distract us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's
5: going to be I've part that of that really wider strange. conversation, hasn't it, about how how we are judged as women doing a job compared yeah. to men? And I think I think really what what Mega said about talking to her 12-year-old niece is absolutely right. It has to start with us talking to younger generation, saying, this is not the most important thing about you. Yeah. How impossible and yeah. hard in this Instagram-worthy, perfect world we live in.
3: Absolutely. But I think that's where
5: the conversation needs
2: to start. Well, of course, and that's another problem, right, which is that now every image we see of women has a filter on it. Oh, everything, and, exactly. yeah. Like, God knows, exactly. like, a filter is a wonderful thing. When you see yourself through a filter and you're like, wow, who knew I could look this way? But <laughs> it completely distorts... Uh, understanding what a real human being looks like absolutely and let's not get
5: let's not even get started on the whole cosmetic surgery where everyone looks identical yeah i remember saying to one of my friends who's had a lot of cosmetic surgery who works in the media why do you do it she said because everyone else does and I thought isn't it ridiculous it's the old would you jump off a bridge if they did scenario yeah but
3: you're yeah you're very um influenced by human beings around you whether you like it or not you you are it goes into your subconscious and Mm -hmm. then you start evaluating yourself differently so Mm -hmm. it's
2: powerful stuff absolutely how did the bbc respond to the kind of criticism what did they feel about it
4: they didn't that's the thing so nobody has ever asked me because so I even said to my editor Oh, does this look okay? Because I was I was paranoid about it, and he was like, "You look great. You don't, you know." And also, I don't really care. Like this this role has been created, you know, specifically at this time for for um, stories that aren't about you, and (laughs) you know, kind of you look great, but that is not what I care about. It's the context of the report, and especially that we need to get it out to the forty-one language services because we're really caring about reaching. Um, those women all around the world, and um, I, you know, I wouldn't put you on if you looked, if, if you know, you had it was something to worry about. But there was there was nothing to worry about. So, you know, and everyone was really super supportive about the tweet. Cause I'm always worried about my, uh yeah. I, I don't know if I can do Twitter really well, if I'm honest. I <laughs> think <laughs> <Only laughs> anyone can. No. I'm always can. <laughs> but um, but it's, uh, but it, it was such a nice response and. And it was it was really good to know that this is something that women in so many aspects of their of their world feel in so many careers that they think about. And um, maybe if we just start from the talking, the point where we don't ask a woman woman if she's ill,
2: yeah. Yeah. Maria, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Megan Mohan, the BBC's gender and identity reporter, talking about what happened, the time she went on air without putting any makeup on. Who knew it was a big thing? (laughs) Badass Women's Hour
6: XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.
2: We are lucky enough to have in the studio with us author and journalist Pornabel. And her new book, In Search of Silence, has come out. It is the book to read if you are looking around you and thinking, oh my goodness, I have just turned whatever age you've just turned and I should have hit this, 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 this and this milestone my life doesn't look like that what do i do porno thanks so much for joining us thank you i'm so excited to be here <laughs> Our lovely new studio i know last mm. time it's was not wasn't as fancy as this was it last time i mean no. i'd like you to be diplomatic no. <laughs> um <that's laughs> serviceable
4: yeah. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. um
2: for anyone who wasn't listening when you last came and joined us tell us how tell us the story that meant you started to write in search of silence
6: Sure. So um, four years ago, uh, my life was affected by a huge event, which was I was married to a man named Rob, and he took his own life in May 2015. And it was hugely devastating. um, And I think that the first year after he passed away, I was struggling with a lot of different things. But a lot of it was um, he's, he had a dual diagnosis. So he was dealing with, you know, fairly full on addiction issues and mental health problems. And I ended up writing a book called Chase the Rainbow, which was about our life together, because I felt that a lot of the things that we were dealing with were fairly stigmatized against and, and taboo. And also the mental health landscape, you know, four years ago is not Uh, how it is now it is a very very different place and I didn't intend to write a second book the first book was very much to serve a purpose to educate to give comfort to other people and also it was part of my own catharsis to be quite frank around how I was dealing with the the grief of it and also making sense of his death but it was just a chance conversation with my publisher who just said okay well what are you doing next and um caught me at a fairly ranty point in my life where I was just fairly fed up with with everything, to to be honest. And she she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I think I'm going to quit my job. I've got to a position where I can do that. And I would really just like to take myself away from London for a bit and go travelling for a while and really think about what it is that I want my life to look like because I feel that there's all these expectations of what my life should become to show that it wasn't this great tragedy that was affected by Rob's death. And I just said, I can't think within within any of that. And I was lucky enough that I'd saved up some money to be able to do that. And also I had planned to work while I was away. And she said, well, actually that might, that could be a second book, you know, because I don't think it's just you that are grappling with these various things because a big part of it was my personal timeline compared to everyone else's timeline and the things that they were achieving and where I felt I was. And I kind of felt like I was stuck in quicksand a little bit. So this book really is an exploration of all of that stuff and, you know, what makes your life meaningful. Did I want kids? Did I want to be in another relationship, really? And to be able to have a proper think about that stuff without feeling the pressure of what other people wanted for me or what they felt that they should do, what I should do, because that's what they happen to be doing with their lives. Did
2: you want, when you said, do you what? I just need to get out of my life, I need to get out of this city that's driving and driving and driving and I need to go away and think... Were you thinking, I'm going to go away somewhere and have a bit of a think and reassess? Or were you thinking, actually, I'm going to go somewhere and just not have to think? I'm going to go look at some beautiful waterfalls. <laughs> I'm going to put a backpack on, pretend I'm 18 again and have a nice time. Was it a bit of escapism or did you really want to do the thinking?
6: I think the distinction is um, that for me, I it wasn't escapism in the sense where uh, things in your life might be quite difficult and you... Excuse me. And you basically take yourself away because you're trying to just escape uh, whatever, you know, your life is. And at that point, I think my life was very murky and unknown. And I didn't really feel like there was very much structure to it. So I wasn't going off on this journey to try and find some solution in in the journey or to meet some guy while I was out there and to have a neatly packaged answer definitely not eat pray love no (laughs) and I think that I had a. I felt like I was much more sure of myself as a person so I knew that there was that and and I definitely felt a lot more solid but I did feel like I couldn't really pull that thought together where I currently was in London and with all of those um, my existing friendship circles, to be quite frank. So when I took myself away, actually, it was a mix of both in that I did just want to be somewhere where I didn't have to worry about someone else's reaction or assessment of where I was in my grief because sometimes I did feel like I had to put on a particular facade to show people that I was okay or I had to develop coping mechanisms around um hiding my grief away from people it it wasn't anything that directly people said to me to make me feel that way it's just how i felt but also yeah i just wanted to be somewhere quiet where i could have a proper thing so I think it was both of them and it did end up being both of those things
3: and, and did it work did you come back from that trip with more I, d- I don't know were you searching for clarity or some answers or you know did, did it
6: did it work Um, It worked in the sense that when I started the trip, I noticed that I just felt quite angry and it wasn't directed at any one person or any one thing. But I think I was just very angry that life had not turned out the way that I thought it would. And more to the point, I did not know what that future would look like. And I think that somewhere along the way, whether that was just the process of being in different landscapes, and there's a lot of landscape writing in this book, is that I just put certain parts of my anger down a little bit, and I just was able to gain a wider view of what I wanted my life to include. So, by the genuinely, by, by the beginning, at the beginning of this journey, I thought that this was going to confirm my um, belief that one day I was going to live in a shack like a hermit and I wouldn't need to bother with friends and family and have to worry about anyone else and so on. And that was not the realization. <laughs> spoiler! Uh, by the end of the book, what I realized was that you are able to make and make decisions for yourself and carve out a life that is very reflective of what you want in it. But a hundred percent, even if you choose to do that alone or you live alone, having those support networks is really crucial to to combating. Uh, the loneliness that you might feel around other things? Or, or are you trying to seek a solution in your loneliness by throwing yourself into relationships with people that aren't actually the right relationships? So insofar as by the time I came back, no, I mean, my life was pretty much exactly the way that it was before I left on paper, minus a job, <laughs> and like a regular salary. But, um, but apart from that, things had definitely shifted like i'd felt that they had shifted it's something that my sister noticed a change in me and she said you know you are different but in a way that is just quieter and calmer and just i think a bit more forgiving of things
5: mm-hmm. i don't think there's a woman listening who won't recognize that desire to just actually reset mm. and i think it's incredibly brave what you did but i think it's a message here for everyone regardless of their experience just the idea of looking what works for you and getting out the race that competitiveness, you know, are you having kids yet? Are you married yet? Are you, where are you at with your grief? It can all feel like an incredible pressure at a time when
3: you could have done nothing. It's ver- yes. very hard to escape that. Do oh, you, gosh. Yeah. Are you finding. That um you can live your life authentically and you you know what your new path is going to be without because you know you did go down that traditional path in terms of getting married, and they they 're the sort of the tick boxes for success aren 't they amazing career got married, and then you know losing Rob just you know not what you would expect a young you know, young married person to be in that situation. So everything's now thrown up and now resettled. Do you think you have a completely different view now about success milestones?
6: Yeah, I mean, I would say that, Previously, I viewed all of those things that you've just described as the markers for a successful life. And especially, I think, for women, you know, there is such a huge sexism in the fact that what is considered a marker for success is not the same that it is for men. And this is something I've written about before. But even looking at the narrative of someone quitting to go away on a sabbatical or or an adventure why is it that for the woman, the end goal always have, has to be to find love? I've never mm. heard a male friend or a colleague <laughs> ever had that said to him in the pub I by his male Disney. friends. Oh, no. Yeah, Like, yeah. oh, mate, I hope you have some adventures <laughs> and meet the woman of your dreams yeah. or the yeah. man of your dreams <laughs> by the yeah. end okay, of it. Do you know don't. what I mean? Mm. So I w- I was very, very conscious of that. And I think that my, uh, my understanding of it now, uh, which may change, but this is how I feel now, mm. is just that... If I meet someone, that's great. And my heart is not closed off to that. If I decide to have kids and do that in the way that I see fit, then that is absolutely fine. But I don't think I have to do either of those two things for me to have a happy and meaningful life. Because I think the way that I view it is meeting someone and being in a relationship is great but they have to fit in like I am willing to compromise but they have to be an addition of goodness and greatness to my life it's not just that I'm looking for someone to complete this lost Mm -hmm. part of me anymore which is how I felt about love in my 20s and I think it made me make some really terrible decisions around people that I dated quite frankly
2: yeah I have to ask you about the other side of your life which is power lifting <laughs> because if you were in the studio with us now <laughs> listeners you would see that here is Paula in some very glamorous red lipstick just looking like a kind of lovely petite simple, yeah. ordinary woman she could basically lift a man above her
6: head <laughs> yeah what's your personal best what weight can you do now 125.
3: 125 125 kilos that is hang on a minute that's like—I <laughs> mean, it's more than any of us. That's basically. like a per- that is it's a person. Like, that's a more than a person. person.
2: It's that's
3: twice a, it's a, it's a person. person. Twice, twice
2: a, a person. person. <laughs> Watch
3: out, boys. <laughs> <laughs>
2: how did you get into that? And how did you? Because it feels like one of those things that, so sort of get into, it and then everyone's going, "You're doing what?" And I wonder if you had been able to do it before you wrote this book.
6: I don't know that i would have thought it was possible and i think that um it's funny you bring this up because next week i'm actually going to the euros in ireland um, and i'm taking part with my teammates and if you told me this a year and a half ago you know two Mm -hmm. years ago i would have just gone sorry what who (laughs) um it is one of those things where It terrified me. It absolutely, the prospect of powerlifting in general or just lifting really heavy things, I found really terrifying. I just thought, I don't know how people do it without injuring themselves. I did not have any female role models around that did anything of the sort at all. And I think that um, it's not like I went away and then I saw other people doing it and I came back and I thought, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, I'm going to lift a small truck over my head. It's more that um, I have the confidence to think well, this is really outlandish and I don't see how I'm possibly going to do it, but I'm just going to take the baby steps towards it. And at least if I hate it, then that's fine because at least I gave it a go and I tried it and then I did try it and I absolutely loved it and it's the best thing (laughs) since travelling that I think I've probably done. It's kind
5: of like your physical power now matches your mental power, which is just the most phenomenal
6: thing. It's so transferable. I mean, Harriet's like seen me rant about this on social media.
2: I love it. (laughs) I love it. Every but time, it's like, just
6: okay. yeah like the I think the idea of physicality the idea of um physical strength transferring into mental strength has been an incredible learning I think and I I there is a very cynical part of me that just wonders why this has kind of been denied to women Mm, for so long and why we've been told that to be happy and to be um to to be successful that we need to be as slim as possible and i think it's just because they don't want us to lift them over our heads yeah what it is there is a
3: new i do feel that there is a (laughs) there is a culture now not necessarily the the power lifting but definitely weights and definitely a strength and I kind of like that. I like that women are, are lifting weights down the gym, and you know can really hold their own now. I just, think I think no, men yeah. are
5: scared. We'll be able to shift the fridge ourselves, won't we? Next well, this evening. is it? But I mean, I mean, we don't need yeah. to come and do that. Yeah. Do it ourselves. Yeah.
6: <laughs> well, it's it, it is definitely something I've noticed that when I've gone on dates or when I'm chatting to people, um, if I say I'm weight training, that's fine. Like strength yeah. training is okay, yeah. you know, because maybe I'm like. Doing the odd dumbbell <laughs> here and there. Yeah, right. The minute I mention powerlifting, there's this <laughs> <laughs> <kind> of, <laughs> There's just this look on their face. It's not a good look. They don't think They're it's a good like thing, it. by the way. Like I don't hear from. I don't hear back from they half feel of them. Emasculated. Do you think they? Do you think they do? Because yes. you're doing
3: powerlifting.
6: Yeah, I don't. Oh. I don't think they think it's a great thing. And uh, I think do, we do with these men. Like and also,
2: who doesn't want a partner that looks this great and oh lipstick oh. and oh, the, the fridge? <laughs> exactly. Like really, that's I mean, the dream. You know self-sufficient independent woman on all levels (laughs) thank you
3: thank you
5: and a beautiful writer this book is so beautiful
2: it is really beautiful i read it a few weeks ago and i just absolutely loved it porno thank you so much porno's in search of silence by porno bell is out now and if yeah if you've ever had that moment where you've gone am i doing it right it is every day to reassure you (laughs) thank you right now (laughs) thank you so much for coming in and joining us
3: the vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour Excel on Talk Radio.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part?
2: Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL with me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton and Amanda Prowse and joining us in the studio now, comedian and author Sophie Hagen talking about her new book, Happy Fat. Hello, Sophie. Hello, thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much. So we were saying earlier in the show how much we love the cover of your book. Thank you. Because it's essentially you with your stomach exposed and a happy face drawn on your stomach. Yeah. Um, For anyone who doesn't know you and know your background, tell us a little bit about you and how
7: you came to write the book. Um, so I've been fat my entire, the is called Happy Fat, and I'm, I've been fat my entire life, and in the past eight years, I've kind of tried to escape this, oh, I'm going to use like big annoying words, like prison <laughs> of, you know, self-hatred, you know what I mean, like I've been on the journey <laughs> towards self-love, you know, all this stuff, and um, I've gone from, you know, hating my body and thinking that I was the problem, and then to realizing that it's a structural system that's you know anti-fat people and there's nothing wrong with me and my body is amazing and you know at the same time I've been doing comedy I've been a comedian now for nine years and I just wanted to put it all in a book you know because I started talking out so much about uh you know fat activism and fat liberation and I would get so many people asking me but how how do you do it and so many people still don't really understand what it what it's about so fortunately I got to put everything I know in a in a book
2: and for people who are listening who don't understand what it's about when we're talking about fat activism what do we mean
7: I think it's easiest to put it into perspective if you compare it to body positivity because a lot of people will know what body positivity is and this idea that you should love your body and you could love your body well fat activism is sort of a bit more of the radical stance on that which is instead of it being up to us to learn how to love our bodies, we should start focusing on the structure that teaches us not to, because there are children down to the age of three who feel like they're too fat and they want to start dieting, and that is terrifying. Mm. So instead of it being up to us to teach each other how to unlearn this, we need to focus on the fact that this is structural oppression, which is also two very boring words, (laughs) isn't it? But it is essentially a bunch of execs and CEOs and the whole system that, revolves around teaching particularly women to hate their bodies so we spend so much energy and money on trying to become thin and we spend our whole lives and all of our energy and just being hungry all the time and thinking that we have to be thin to be worthy and fat liberation is about making sure they stop telling us that we're unworthy so we can live our lives
2: I, I want to clap. I need go to go. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. And I thought,
7: yes, maybe <laughs> you. you do that, Mandy. No, do do that, actually. you I might mean, <laughs> like that. That's why <laughs> I
2: live for.
1: Thank
2: <laughs> you. I find it fascinating because, uh, like you, I've been fat my whole life. And I would say I only realised maybe two and a half, three years ago that some of the things that I held as very true beliefs
7: were perhaps not entirely correct it's amazing isn't I it that know. moment when you're like wait a minute it's not a fact you it's know fat equals bad it's not a fact it's an it, opinion you're like whoa oh, oh. <laughs>
2: wait
7: I'm, a minute
2: so I think it's like oh my god all those times I've been to my doctor and been like no no but there must be something wrong with me and they're like no you're very healthy and I, oh, uh, uh, because I had taught a uh, completely associated thin with healthy and fat with unhealthy and To a degree where even when my body was completely fine and normal, I was convinced there must be something. And I didn't realise that's something that we just do as a society. How did you start to see that? What was the stuff that showed up for you that you were like, oh, hang on, that's a weird belief. Where has
7: that come from? It was was very much uh, a singular moment that turned it all upside down for me. I met this radical queer buddy activist in, uh, <laughs> at uh, the Copenhagen University where I thought I was going to study Russian for three years. That did not happen. Because uh, I was sat next to Andrea, and Andrea, was she had a mullet. She had hair under her arms. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> she's so cool. And, you know, she knew I did stand-ups, so, and I would do very self-deprecating jokes about my fatness, you know, just kind of make apologies for myself. And, oh, I know I'm fat. I eat yeah. too much. And uh, so Andrea was like, right, okay, we can't have you do that. (laughs) That's not okay. You're spreading a very negative thing. So she just taught me. She's like, this is what capitalism is. This is what feminism is. And, you know, the, the big picture is basically they're teaching us to hate our bodies so that they can make money off of us. And when you think back to how much money most people have spent on trying to lose weight... You're like, wow! I've single-handedly funded yeah. <laughs> entire uh-huh. companies trying to lose weight. When you look into it, ninety-eight percent of diets don't work. They always mm-hmm. end up making you yeah. fatter, uh, and that's that's a good business for them because then you blame yourself. You go, you yeah. know, you and can you totally buy another diet. Exactly, and you yeah. often go back to the same one because it works in the beginning. You're like, yeah. oh my god, I lost so much weight, but then I failed, so I better go back to the thing that worked. That's how they make money, and it just clicked in my head when she said that. I was like wait a minute so are you saying uh-huh. i could like my body <laughs> she's like yes and i was like whoa but she almost gave you permission really so was, she just yeah. opened a whole yeah. a, like a, a doorway into this world where mm. everything that i'd been told was not possible was possible you know it's like you can choose to be happy with this and Isn't it interesting if- sorry Oh, I was going to say, do you
3: feel liberated now? Do you feel like, and especially like writing this book, do you feel like you've addressed all those things that were making you, you know, not like yourself not live your life to the full?
7: I think so. Yeah, I think I do feel, well, I feel I feel liberated from the voice in my head that used to tell me all these things. That I had to be thin to be happy, that I wasn't good enough, all these things. And now the the feeling of being chained up is now more about, how i can yeah. see it happen all the yeah, time yeah, yeah. i can see that it's still it's holding me back but it's you know society holding me back and not my own inner self-hatred so it's, it's you know it's like escaping from yeah. one prison into another, another Where you're yeah. like hold on can i please be let out of this yeah. thank you <laughs> i think it's really
2: interesting i remember a few years ago we were on a panel and it was about body confidence and emma asked question like do you feel body confident and i thought like, it's really difficult because I feel confident in my body. I'm like confident that it will get me up in the morning and it will take me to the bus stop and all these things. But I can walk into a situation where the rest of the world does not feel that way. Mm. And so for no fault of its own, my body is suddenly not good enough because everyone else has decided it's not. And it's that funny thing. You notice you go, Well, I've shifted it. Oh but you haven't. So how do you have that conversation with other people when they still have all their expectations? How do you start to kind of edged them towards a more open-minded stance?
7: I mean, I'll be honest with you, that's the be- the best thing about having a book is that now I can just hold it up in front of my face <laughs> and be like, please don't speak to me. Just <laughs> read this. I'm not... I'm tired... Ty- it's always being framed as a debate, isn't it? Yeah. Like something that people can have an yeah. opinion on. And I think that's the main problem with how a lot of the discourses at the moment is that it's a you know, oh we I guess we just have different opinions, but we don't. Like yeah. everything that I've written about, yeah. everything I know about fatness is based on facts and science, you yeah. know. It's not my opinion that fat is good. Or yeah. it's not my opinion that it's not bad to be fat. That's yeah. facts. It's just not. It's just it's <laughs> okay, it really is. And that's I had a journalist say to me, you always talk as if you're right. I was like, yeah, (laughs) I am very much, I'm right. Yes, I am. It's based on logic and facts and science. Uh, So I'm kind of tired of being, you know, asked to, and it happens so much. That's why I love stuff like this, where, you know, we're kind of above all of that sort of stuff. But I'm so often asked to debate someone who disagrees with me. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, but that's, someone who disagrees with me, they just haven't, they just haven't understood it yet. Mm -hmm. And then I can't be the one educating them. They have to, you know, I wrote it in the book, read the book, Google it. (laughs) And then we can come back and have a conversation once yeah. we've all understood w- that this is based on truth, basically. And
5: what I, it, sorry, I've not it You go, right, me, You go. Mm-hmm. I was going to say. I think. I think even I love the word. Fat, you've used the word fat. I'm also a fat woman. I do love my body. I'm extremely confident in, in just about every aspect of my life, apart from the cooking, which is a bit ropey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think even using the word fat, people shy away from it. People will go up to people and say, "You're skinny." Oh, Aren't you skinny? They'll even poke your ribs. Yeah. They'll never come up to me and go, "God, you're looking fat. Aren't you fat?
7: Aren't you chubby?" But actually, we need to have those conversations because you know what? We're here. This is it. Yeah. And have you ever tried saying to someone that you're fat and just seeing their faces yes. drain from yeah. blood, just being like, yeah. uh, um, mm. uh, no, "No, you're you you're you're beautiful. You have a, such <laughs> pretty a pretty face. You have a lovely personality. Yeah, so. <laughs> you have a lovely personality. I Please do. help me, help me." <laughs>
3: <laughs> what do you think about the uh, the magazine? So, was it Cosmopolitan who yep. featured? Who was the Tess Hes- Holiday? Tess Halliday on the front cover. Oh, yeah. What do you think about? Do you feel like we are moving towards that more liberated world? Is that a magazine's doing
7: that, supporting the cause or not supporting the cause? It's such a tricky one, isn't it? Because it's it's so, things can be so good and so bad at the same time. You know, it's 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 the whole thing about like, body positivity is good in that. It makes us feel better about Well it's meant to make us feel better about ourselves And that is inherently a positive thing But the fact that that is the focus is a huge problem because Mm. it shouldn't be about us. It should be about them who does this to us. And it's sort of the same with the test holiday situation. It's amazing to have a fat woman on the front cover of a fashion magazine or women's magazine. That's amazing. It's good that we need to see those bodies. And, you know, my life is filled with fatness. I have my Instagram feed is full of fat women and I love it. You know, I have it all all my artwork (laughs) at home is just fatness. So it's good. I know representation really, truly matters but then again, you know, Tess has a lot of beauty privilege. You know, she's very, you know, her face very is beautiful. Yes, yeah. very beautiful. She's white, which isn't like this yep. m- almost exclusively just white people all yep. over body positivity. And so, you know, there are issues within that. And also, it, we shouldn't have, it doesn't matter how we look. That should be the main thing. Why, are we, why <laughs> do we really When did it come since? We yeah.
2: agree. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. We loved you. Thank Sophie's you. book, Happy Fat, is out now. Go buy it. We love it. Thank you so much. One, two, three, four... This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it.